So, praise the Lord. Are you ready for the word this morning? Yeah. Amen. I am ready as well. We're going to go and, and, uh, and be blessed by the word of God. Amen. I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Psalms, chapter 1. Of course, we've been in this passage now for a couple of weeks prior to this, and we are talking about the blessed life, what it looks like to walk and to live in the blessing of God. And I'm going to read this morning beginning uh, with verse 1 from Psalm 1, and I'm going to read from the Amplified Classic. It'll be on the screen if you want to look at it or follow along in whatever translation you have. And uh, to begin with, we're going to look at the first three verses, the first three verses. So if you will, let's, let's read together. Blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly, following their advice, their plans, and purposes, nor stands submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk, nor sits down to re relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. But his delight and desire are in the law of the Lord, and on his law, the precepts, the instructions, the teachings of God, he habitually meditates, ponders, and studies by day and by night. And he shall be like a tree, firmly planted and tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth his fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we honor you and thank you for your precious, holy, written word. We thank you, Father, that that which you have spoken and that which you have inspired men to write has been preserved for us down to this very day. And that when we open this book, when we open our Bible, you speak to us. We hear from you. We find out who you are. We find out what you do and what you're willing to do. We find out what you like and even what you don't like. Lord, your word, it's a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our pathway. Help us today to hide it in our heart that we may not sin against you, and that we may walk in its light and blessing all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, we thank you for a word in season. Amen and amen. In defining the blessing, what we have found by looking at Scripture and studying what the word means and looking at how it's used, we found that the blessing, when we talk about a biblical blessing, is really an empowerment. It's an enablement by God that's given through the operation of the Holy Spirit, but actually the empowerment, the blessing itself, is given by God's spoken word to us and over us. And it's an empowerment to prosper in every part of your life. It's an empowerment to prosper spiritually, soulishly, physically, relationally, and also materially, financially. Adam heard God speak words of blessing as some of the very first words he ever heard spoken. And some of the first, uh, the first words Adam ever heard spoken were words that God himself spoke, which included 
the blessing. And you can read that and find it in Genesis 1, 28. So obviously, blessing his man or his people, we know that would include the women as well, was and is on the mind of God. It's not something that's an afterthought. It's not something that God forgot about until he just saw we really needed it. So he said, oh, I guess you need that. No, this was always a part of the plan of God. It was always a part of his purpose. And um, there are a few things that I've noticed in over 40 years of full-time ministry that it seems difficult to convey and to get people to accept and to get people to believe enough to act on. And one of those happens to be confession. We were talking about confession earlier at offering time. But another one is the whole concept of the blessed life. It just sounds too good to be true. It just sounds like something that somebody just wants to happen. And, of course, the devil and even well-meaning people who may not realize they're actually being used by the devil. I'm not saying they're evil people, but they're well-meaning. But they just seem to have a problem with the concept that God is big enough, powerful enough. Well, actually, I'll reword that. They believe God is big enough. They believe God is powerful enough. Their problem is they don't believe he's willing for us to have this kind of a life. You know, there was a, a leper who, of course, was terminally ill and was ostracized and quarantined from mainstream society in the day of Jesus. And he came and cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Well, Jesus didn't say, I'll have to think about it. He didn't say, well, I'm going to talk to the Father and, you know, I'm going to make sure he didn't put this on you to teach you a lesson. I'm going to make sure that somehow he's not getting glory out of you suffering this way. No, no, he just quickly answered and he eliminated all the doubt and all the unbelief that was in this man. You say, doubt and unbelief? He came to Jesus. Yes, he came to Jesus, but notice what he said, if you will, you can make me clean. What does that tell us? That tells us that he didn't know the will of God. He didn't know the will of God. Well, you know, we have on this banner over here on the wall that statement by F.F. F. Bosworth in his book, Christ the Healer, that says, faith begins where the will of God is known. I knew a man who knew Bosworth. I never got to meet him. He went home to be with the Lord in 1958. But he's one of the people I'm looking forward to meet in heaven. Amen. If you don't have that book, you need to get it. I mean, we don't sell it here anymore, but you can get it on Amazon. As a matter of fact, you can get it on uh, uh, Kindle version, and, and you can read it on your device. And you can also go on YouTube, and his son, R.V. Bosworth, reads it to you. It's wonderful. Anyway, he made this statement so many years ago. Faith begins where the will of God is known, and that's exactly where it does begin. You'll never believe God to the level of receiving what he says until you know what he says. That's where this leper was in Matthew chapter 8. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Well, was there anything false about what he was believing? No. Was what he believed true? Yes. What was the problem? Why did Jesus have to correct his theology? It's because faith in God's ability is not enough to receive the manifestation of his ability. 
you must not only believe that he is able, but you've got to have faith in his willingness. His willingness. And this is something that many of us have been working on for a long time. Because like me, many of you were probably brought up in religious traditions where we never heard this. I can honestly say that I was a grown man before I ever heard anybody even teach what I'm talking to you about here today. That's, that's not saying that there weren't wonderful people, good people uh, that, that I was going to church with. That's not to say that there weren't some great people of God and, and uh, people even called of God to minister. But you know, just like we're talking, faith only starts where the will of God is known. And if people don't know, they can't tell you. Amen? Amen. That's just like if you wanted some bubble gum today. Or as my grandpa used to call it, blow gum. If you want some blow gum today, uh, I couldn't accommodate you. I don't have any. I don't have any. I do have a couple of mints here. But I don't have any bubble gum. Well, you know, uh, you cannot give what you don't have. And so when I was growing up, I'm convinced there were wonderful people who just didn't know. And they couldn't give me a revelation that they themselves didn't have. And so I have been after this revelation knowledge, Ephesians chapter 1. I've been after this revelation knowledge for years because I've found that with every new breakthrough in faith, it will have been preceded, it was preceded by a breakthrough in revelation knowledge. There's something that I saw from the Word of concerning the will of God and the provision of God that I didn't see before. And when I got that down in my spirit, then I was able to exercise a true faith to receive whatever it was. And I'm telling you, it is a joy to live that way. Amen. Amen. And so I've found in all these years of ministry that this seems to be a difficult area for people to believe that God really does want them blessed. But right here in this passage we just read, the very first word of the very first chapter of the very first verse of the book of Psalms says blessed. Blessed. And that word we found means happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable is the man. And we know that would include the women as well. The word here translated blessed or blessed is Hebrew in the plural. And of course the Amplified gives us those four words. We see that there's a multifaceted use and there are multi-levels of blessings here that God wants to put into our lives to the point that it will cause us to be happy. It will cause us to be fortunate people, which means just receiving things unexpectedly that are good. Amen. I expect to be blessed. Amen. I just expect the blessing of God. It's amazing. Even in little things. I had been given, Glenn and I had been given a $40 gift card to go to Mission Barbecue. And I like barbecue, but Glenna loves barbecue. <laughs> so we went to Mission Barbecue and uh, the total bill was $6 and something. And then when I went to get my food, 
they had this strawberry shortcake, and I said, I, I didn't order that. And they said, well, we thought we heard it, and uh, so we got it made up. So just take it anyway. So if we look like we have been enjoying the good life, we have. <laughs> Amen. You say, why do you tell that little story? Because those are the kinds of things that I expect in my life. I didn't go in there to manipulate anybody, never ask for the gift card, and, and I never uh, asked for the strawberry shortcake, but it was good. If you get a chance, try it. Amen. It's really good. But um, that's favor. That's blessing. And I expect that in little things, and I expect it in big things. I expect that, that I am blessed, and I'm highly favored of God. And that people want to do me good. You say, well, don't you ever run into some grouches? Oh, yes. Yeah, we run into those as well. But I don't let those people keep me from having joy. And I don't let those people keep me from expecting a blessing. Because I might run into one grouch, but that one grouch is not going to determine the rest of my life. And I'm not going to let a bad attitude keep me from all that God wants me to have. So I want you to say with me today, whether you feel like it or not, and whether it looks like it or not, I want you to say it just based on what the Bible says. Say, I am blessed. I am blessed. Say, I'm happy. I'm happy. I am fortunate. I'm fortunate. I, am I am prosperous. I am enviable. I am enviable. Hallelujah. What a statement. What a witness. Now, I want you to go in your Bibles with me today to the book of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we have uh, looked at this last time, but we're going to look at it one more time today and try our best to catch up where we were, I mean from where we were to go to the next level. Galatians chapter 3, and we want to look at verse number 13. Galatians 3, 13 is where we will begin. Now remember, we're reading about us, we're reading about a believer, we're reading about the blessed man or the blessed woman so the, what we're getting ready to read applies to you. Now it's going to use the term us, plural, but you understand you're part of that group. So this would apply to you personally as well. And here Paul writes and says, Christ, that's the anointed one, that's Jesus, the Messiah, has redeemed us or bought us back from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. So he took our place and bore the curse that was due to us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing... So there's a contrast here between blessing and cursing. Blessing is the default system of God's kingdom. Cursing, or the curse, is the default system of the kingdom of darkness. And since the prince of darkness... Satan himself was allowed into the affairs of men by Adam when he fell and committed treason against God and gave away our authority or gave away his authority and therefore allowed Satan to come into this world. And he's now called in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 the God, little g, Lord or ruler of this world. So we understand he's here. And by the way, until Jesus uh, comes back to get us, he's going to be around. There's a legal issue here. Adam didn't have the moral right to sell out to the devil, but he did have the legal right. And so he did the wrong thing, 
And from that day to this, we have been dealing with that issue. But of course, Jesus came as the last Adam and settled the issue once and for all. So now, if you are born again, and if you're not born again, you can get born again right now, today. You don't have to wait. You can ask Jesus to come into your heart. You can acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. You can repent of your sin. You can do all of that. You can do that at your seat in a whisper right now and be as saved as anybody in this room is saved. If you will believe in your heart and confess Jesus as Lord, you'll be saved. Amen. But if you are saved, then that means that you have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness, we're told in the New Testament, and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So therefore, we've been moved from the kingdom where the curse is the default, and we've been brought into the kingdom where the blessing is the default. And so in spite of what's going on around us, you're in a bubble, if you will, of blessing. And you're in a place where God can take care of you in ways that just boggle the imagination of the world because God has always been doing that with those who are in covenant with him. He's brought them through times of famine, pestilence, war, upheaval, uh, good kings, bad kings, good politics, bad politics, all kinds of situations. God has always taken care of his people. And so I want to encourage you to not be afraid. We live in a crazy world. We live in a mixed up world. We live in a world where things are happening and things are being said that would have just 10 years ago been a joke that a comedian would, told, would have told. But now people actually say with a straight face, it is amazing. And I don't want to get off on that hobby horse. But I'm telling you that in the midst of all the mess, you live in the blessing. You live in the blessing. Amen. So... Jesus became a curse that the blessing, verse 14 of Galatians 3, the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. In other words, the blessings extended to the non-Jewish world through Jesus Christ. That we, that's those of us who are saved, you and I, might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now to kind of seal that uh, statement he says to us in the 29th verse of this same third chapter, <coughs> And if ye be Christ's, if you belong to Jesus, in other words, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We know that to be an heir of the blessing of Abraham means that we are not only an heir of God, but we are, as the scriptures say, a joint heir or an equal heir with Christ. You know, if someone leaves an inheritance and they've got five children and they leave uh, and they make all of them joint or equal heirs, that means that whatever that estate is worth, and since math is not my best subject, I, I'll make it easy. Let's say they leave a $5 million estate to five children. Even I can figure out that means each of them get a million dollars. Because why? They're equal heirs. They're joint heirs. And so if I, if you and I are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, guess what? Everything he's an heir to, you're an heir to. 
everything that he possesses is part of your heritage. And it just so happens that God's worth more than five million. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So our blessing is possible because of our redemption and our relationship with God. It's not based on our works. We are empowered with Jesus' own empowerment. And so when we look back at uh, Psalms, we find out that there is a blessing that has always been upon the people of God, upon those in covenant with God, and that this blessing is available to us. Now today what I want to uh, get into is how we tap into that practically. What, what is it that I need to do or not do to position me for the blessing? Now I'm not talking about what do I need to, earn, need to do to earn it because I could never earn it. But what do I need to do to take my inheritance? You know, going back to our little simple illustration, <clears throat> if the uh, inheritance was such that all five of the heirs were joint heirs to a $5 million estate and there were no other provisions other than upon the death of the testator, the inheritance would fall to the heirs, then those heirs do not have to earn that part of their estate. They don't have to earn it. But they do have to position themselves to receive it. I mean, if you know, there would be some papers to sign. There would be some legal, some kind of a legal transaction where the actual money was transferred from one account into the individual account. It's not an issue of earning it. They don't have to, it doesn't say, you know, you're an heir to a million dollars, but you've got to work 20 years and then you might get it. There's nothing like that in God's will. Simply because all the work's been done, Jesus did it. And as I said earlier, I know that this is difficult for us to get our minds around because especially in, in America, uh, you know, at least in past generations, we had this ethic of, you know, work. The, the more you work, the better person you probably are. And the, and the more you work, probably the more you'll earn and, the, the, you know, the more wealthy you'll be and all of that. And there's truth in some of that and it's good to work. Norval Hayes used to say, God don't, you know, it's bad grammar, but Norval's like me, he's a hillbilly. He said, God don't bless lazy Christians. Well, <clears throat> there's a blessing in work and a blessing in hard work, but when it comes to redemptive rights, covenant rights, there's no work required because it's all bought and paid for. So how do we begin to tap in or to position ourselves for the blessing? I want you to go with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30. Deuteronomy, chapter 30. I always like to point out, most of the time when we look in Deuteronomy, that uh, this was Moses' last sermon before uh, he uh, died. And uh, he brought Israel together, and he began to declare this long sermon. And so if you ever get to thinking that I'm being too long-winded, <laughs> read the book of Deuteronomy and you'll be glad to come here any Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. This was a long, long sermon. But anyway, in the course of his preaching to them and as he got toward the end of the sermon, in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, he makes this statement. And he shows us a principle about the blessing 
and the curse. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. Now, he doesn't mean that God is not for you, that he's against you like he's mad at you. He's just saying, in other words, this is the witness. And so, you know, these words will be used against you if necessary. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death. Pretty stark contrast, isn't it? I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose. And he loves them because he's a spiritual father. He's a, he's a great spiritual leader. So he has to say to him, choose life. He doesn't mean they don't have a choice. He doesn't mean they couldn't choose death. He doesn't mean they couldn't choose to be cursed or live a cursed life. But he's saying, choose life. And look at what this choice will do. It affects not only you, but the next generation. Choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. So you see, sometimes people have this mistaken idea that, that I'm only hurting myself if I don't do good or don't do the right thing. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to mind my own business. And a lot of people don't realize how much your life affects other people, and especially if you are a parent. Choices you make today are going to affect your children and your grandchildren in the future. And so we see, first of all, in looking at how we're going to live and walk in the blessing of God, how we're going to live the blessed life, the first thing is to make a choice to be blessed. Now, I know that we come into Christ, there is a sense in which we are automatically under the blessing, but yet we do also understand that we have to choose to cooperate with God in order that that blessing can manifest. There are lots of good, saved people that are not walking in the fullness of their blessings. There are a lot of wonderful people, good people, honest people that love the Lord and are faithful to church, but they are not walking in, in even a little bit, hardly, I mean just, just a little, of the blessing that God has for them. And if you want to walk as a, as a blessed person, you've got to make a choice. And this choice is going to make you different than a lot of people you know. There are going to be a lot of people that will not agree with your choice. There will be a lot of people think you're crazy. They think, you know, well, they don't know what they're doing. They're deluded. You know, they're just, you know, they're being deceived. I mean, there are all kinds of things people will say if you choose to walk in the blessing. Because if you choose to walk in the blessing, what we're going to see here uh, from the book of Psalms is you're going to take on a lifestyle that is not like most of the world. God has this way, and he always has been this way. God has this way of bringing his people out from among the world and making them a separate people. Many in the world, not all, but many in the world for centuries have hated the Jewish people because that was a part of who they have been. That was the purpose of God, to make them a peculiar treasure and calling them out, 
giving them a, a set of instructions, a lifestyle that would make them different than the nations around them. But at the same time, because their obedience uh, to God would produce such abundant blessings, those nations around them needed them. And when we come to the church age, the same thing should be true of the church. They may not like your politics. They may not like all your belief systems. They may not like the way you do things in your family. They may not like and agree with your views on things like education and business and other things like that. But if you truly walk in the blessing of God to the, to the level and the degree that he wants you to, those same people are going to need you. And they're going to have to acknowledge there's something different about you. And so what we have to do is make sure that those differences are significant enough to make an impact. And what I mean by that is, one of the things I mean by that is that we don't want to get hung up on these little petty arguments. Uh, we don't want to you know, be fussing over things that are non-essential. But we want to barrel down on those things that are truly bedrock, foundational principles of the Word that will separate us from the world but also cause us to be so blessed that they can't help but notice. And as I've said before, their, their question would be, how do you do that? That's, that's part of our witness. That's not all there is to it, but that is very important. Amen. So it's not about what you don't do alone. I mean, that's part of it. But it's also about what you do. Or may I say it this way, it, some of it has to do with what you're able to do. That the world can't figure out how to get there. Well, it's called the blessing. The blessing of God. So, when we come back to Psalm 1, we see that, interestingly, the psalmist here doesn't begin with the positives or the do's. He begins with the don'ts. He said this person that is blessed, this person that's happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable is a person who, number one, does not walk and live in the counsel of the ungodly. And you'll find in the Bible the word walk many times is used symbolically of a lifestyle. That's the way it's used here. He's not just talking about taking a walk down the street in the evening to, you know, for exercise or something. He's talking about the way you live. That comes into play to all the decisions you make, how you use your time, how you manage your money, how you treat the people around you. All of that is involved in your lifestyle. Some of it is what we don't do, but a big portion and the most important portion is what we do. So he says here that one of the things we don't do is we do not live in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't follow their advice, their plans and purposes. Let me give you a very loose paraphrase here. The blessed man does not live by the evening news. The blessed man does not live based solely on what Google says. 
The blessed man does not live based on the counsel and the advice of the so-called experts in the world who don't know God. Years ago, the Lord instructed me, don't listen to people who don't listen to me, he said. And I think that's very, very good counsel. Don't listen to people who don't listen to God. When somebody tells you some terrible thing that they've heard through some media outlet, your first question needs to be, the first thing you need to, to ask is, what does the Bible say about that? I don't care what news agency, I don't care what TV show, what radio show, what internet service, I don't care who or where this stuff comes from. My first question should always be, what does the Bible say? Because if I know what the Bible says, I know the truth. And if I know the truth, I can't be fooled. If I know the truth, I will not be deceived by somebody's agenda. And I hope that you realize that pretty much all of what's out there, there is an agenda behind it. Some few have a good agenda, a biblical agenda, but most don't. And um, we've lived through three years now of seeing how crooked and twisted the so-called media can be. And how easy it is to be lied to by our politicians. And quite frankly, I don't know of any of them that I trust fully to tell me the truth. And so therefore, it's more important in 2023 than it's ever been in all my lifetime to be listening to the Holy Ghost and to look into the Word of God. There's where the truth is. There's where the principles of truth lie. Amen. So if you want to walk in the blessing of God, you cannot do what the NIV says in this verse. You can't walk in step with the wicked. You just can't do it. I'm not saying to not be informed. I mean, you know, my goodness. We, we need to know what's on sale at Christmas time, yes. Uh, and you need to know when they bring those peach milkshakes back to Chick-fil-A. I mean, you, there's, certain, there's certain, certain bits of news you just really need. But a whole lot of this other stuff, I take with a grain of salt. I don't get all worked up every time something comes across, you know, the news feed on your phone or your device. Because there's just too many people trying to make a fast buck. And you help them when you give them time. Clicks equals dollars. And so people sometimes will do about anything to have you stop and look at what they're doing and saying. And the thing about seeing this stuff, you can't unsee it. So you have to, you have to work at uh, getting over it. So you need to be very, very selective and very limited on what you listen to because 
once it's there, then you've got to work on getting that out of your mind. And that's true about anything. That's true about listening to gossip. Oh my goodness, I could have went all day without saying that. But you know, listen to that juicy stuff about so-and-so, whether it's a movie star or whether it's a brother in the church. Once you've heard it, then you're going to have to deal with it. And so if I don't need to know, I'd rather not. I don't want to walk in step with the wicked. And notice this is a devolving uh, uh, process. You start out by walking and living in the counsel of the ungodly. And ungodly does not just mean axe murderers and child molesters. Ungodly means ungodlike. Anything not like God. So you can be ungodly and go to church. You can be a tax-paying, faithful to your spouse, good parent, helpful person, and still have some ungodly traits. Because anything that's not godlike is ungodly. And one of the biggest areas I think where born-again, spirit-filled Christians miss it is in the area of their unbeliefs. The things they choose not to believe that they don't look to the Word for. Amen. Don't live there. The next step is to, uh, the, the psalmist here says, nor stands submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk. So we were walking, now we've stopped. We're getting in more trouble. Stopping or standing, submissive and inactive. That means we stand in the middle of it and don't do a thing. We don't open our mouth. We don't step out of that pathway. We just are frozen like the proverbial deer in the headlights. In other words, we can bless and to a certain degree we can associate with unbelievers, of course. But we don't need to tarry in their pathways. All of us here, if we're not careful, can get into a lot of trouble just because we stop and we look at the wrong thing. We listen to the wrong thing. We entertain the flirtations of the wrong person. We think too long about the way to, quote, beat the system and not be honest. I mean, I could go down a long list. Don't let the world influence you. You influence the world. And the last thing he says here is that we would not sit. So notice we went from walking to standing. Now we're seated. Nor sits down to relax and rest. I want to ask you this question today. Where are you most comfortable? Who are the people you're most comfortable with? Are they godly? Or ungodlike? Where do you relax? What are you comfortable listening to? What are you comfortable doing? What are you comfortable watching? Who are you comfortable in their company? This says to us to not sit down or join in the company of or become a part of the scornful, the mockers, 
Now that's a, that's a powerful word, but what you've got to understand is you don't have to have a public bullhorn and stand out on the street corner and to be a mocker or a scorner of God and spiritual things. There are a lot of people that through their, their words on a personal level and through their decisions they make in their lifestyle, they're mocking God. Their lifestyle says, I really don't believe that judgment's coming. I really don't believe that I'm going to reap what I sow. I really don't believe what the scriptures say. I'm going to write my own Bible. I'm going to ignore the parts I don't like and don't agree with, and I'm just going to focus on the good parts. Some days I'll quote Jesus, and some days I may quote Paul, and some days I may quote Moses, but I'm not going to take it all because then I would have to live like a Christian. We can't do this. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that evil communications corrupts good manners. So if you constantly hang out on the road or you're constantly stopping and just milling around taking in like a sponge soaking up all that's out there in this crazy world and if you finally get to the place where you just kind of give up and you just sit down and think well if you can't beat them join them you're not going to live this blessed life. That's what he's saying. Now I know that there are those in the body of Christ who seem to give the impression that it really doesn't matter about all this lifestyle stuff. That, that God's love and grace is so wonderful and powerful that uh, it doesn't really matter anymore what you do or what you say or decisions you make. That it's all going to work out anyway. But the thing about it is when you read your Bible, that's not what the Bible says. We have to be very careful that we don't pick and choose just the things that we like, the things that we think are convenient for us, but that we take the whole word. Now, he says there are two things that we do. Those were the three things we don't do. Here are the two things we do. First of all, Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. That's what the psalmist said here. But his delight and desire are in the law of the Lord. Now you've got to understand the psalmist we've been writing probably had access to basically the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And probably Job. So the actual scriptures that he would have been referring to would have been very limited and most of us do not think of passages in Leviticus as shouting ground. As a matter of fact, if you have insomnia, I would advise certain passages in Leviticus uh, can really help you. So, so how in the world does a person get to the point that we take pleasure in, we delight and desire in the law of the Lord. We might say it this way, uh, the things that you want are the things that bring you pleasure and delight. Wouldn't you agree? We don't delight in things we don't want. We don't delight in things that are not pleasant. So we delight in things that bring us pleasure. How do we find pleasure in the Word of God. There are two things I want to mention just quickly, and this can really change your attitude about how you view God's Word. Number one, you develop an appetite 
by eating. How many of you, and be honest with me now, this is just this is not a trick question and all of that, and you know, I'm apt to have a little fun with you, but it'll all be fun, I promise, especially for me. Uh, but how many of you, the first time you ever tasted coffee, you just thought, this is the best stuff I've ever tasted? We have one hand. You're special, praise the <laughs> Lord. That's great. One hand. How many of you regularly drink coffee now? What happened? What happened? You developed a taste. You developed an appetite. Anything that has to do with, with uh, the human body particularly deals with these human appetites. And when we partake of things that are pleasurable, that are good, we develop an appetite for it. I'm convinced one of the reasons that people don't take pleasure in the Word of God is because they've never eaten enough of the Word, and it's called, you know, the bread of life, to ever really develop an appetite for it. So what would we do? If we want to be the blessed man of Psalm 1, if we want these good things to come into our lives, what would we do where the word is concerned? Well, we'd do just like you did with that coffee. Every morning, you'd get up until you develop an appetite so that if you leave your house without having looked into the word, you know I haven't really had the right kind of a day. I make time. I make a place. I, it is one of my priorities to look into the Word of God. You say, well, I just don't see how the Bible would ever become like that. Well, you are, you're just exemplifying what I'm talking about. But you can change that to the point where the Word of God becomes to you literally God speaking to me. I mean, if tomorrow we said, you know, I'm going to meet you, I, I mean, I have an appointment at uh, 7.45 in the morning to speak to the smartest man on earth. Would you want to be there? Would you put aside your intimidation since you're not the smartest guy on the planet? I know I would. I would still go. Well, when you open your Bible, you are meeting with the smartest being in the entire universe. Nobody has more knowledge. Nobody has more wisdom. Nobody has more power. Nobody has more resources. And nobody is more able to fix your problems and change your life for the good than the God you meet with when you open your Bible. So whether you feel like it or not, you begin to do it. And you, you begin to discipline yourself to delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Now, one other thing about this is that since God, if you're in relationship with God and you're, you're walking closely with God, then that is a pleasurable relationship. Amen? I mean, if you don't enjoy fellowshipping with God, you don't enjoy His presence, then either you've never been saved or 
you're so far from God, you need to turn around, repent, and come back. If God is the one who brings you the most pleasure, if God and a relationship with God is the most pleasurable thing in your life, then you're going to delight in that. And since the Word is God speaking to us, you're going to delight and desire to be in His Word. It's just that simple. You say, well, preacher, do you ever have to make yourself read? Sure. Do you ever want to let your mind just wander and be lazy? Absolutely. We're all human. But I know that if I will follow His Word, my life will be changed. And my greatest pleasures, my greatest blessings will come by drawing near to God. And I cannot draw near to God without coming through the vehicle or the avenue of His Word. Can you say amen? amen? I want to close with this. And that is the second thing he mentions about the blessed man that we will do to position ourselves for the things of God is to meditate the Word day and night. To meditate here means in the Hebrew to mutter to talk as to oneself. It means to ponder and to think deeply into a subject. Here it means to ponder and think deeply into Scripture. When Joshua took over the reins of leadership from Moses, one of the hardest jobs on the planet in that day, when he began to take over and was expected to lead this people of Israel, the Lord gave him instruction in Joshua chapter 1, 8, and he said, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Sounds very similar, doesn't it, to Psalm 1. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. If you want good success, if you want prosperity, you will meditate the Word. The most spiritual people I have ever known of are people who meditate in the Word. Meditation is not just reading. Meditation is not just memorization. Meditation means to take the Scripture and to actually speak them, to mutter them, as well as to ponder and think deeply into them. It, uh, you, many of you have probably seen, if you've ever been to Israel, you saw it in person, but many of you have seen, at least on a video, you've seen people at the Western Wall in Jerusalem and they're praying and they're rocking back and forth praying. That is the idea of meditation. I'm not saying you have to have a rocking chair, but it really helps. Uh, but you really, you really need to be able to get lost in the presence of God. So if you have to go to the basement, the garage, shut the door, if you have to go to the attic, if you have to whatever, you need to have an, a time where you can take the Word of God. And, you know, you've seen a cow chewing its cud and how that it's, it's, it's eaten and eaten and eaten all the grass standing up and it goes lays down under a tree and it's still chewing. That grass is being rechewed. That's a picture of meditation. You read it. You run references. You study. You look at the key words. You find their meanings. And then you take a time to just ponder. And then when you do this, Probably a modern word that we would better understand is focusing. Just to focus on what God has said. <clears throat> and when you do this, it connects your mind and your spirit. I'm trying to hurry. I know I'm running long here. But it will connect your mind and spirit. And when you get your mind, your soulish aspect, 
connected to your spiritual being and you're in agreement then what happens is two-thirds of your being is in line with the word the only thing left is your body and guess what it has to do whatever the other two say so this is a key to sexual purity this is the key to not eating like a hog this is the key to not being lazy and staying in the bed all day because you're drowsy. This, this is the key to controlling the flesh. Meditating in the Word of God. And when you speak the Word of God, it will cause those things that the Word says to begin to materialize and produce in your life. And at that point, we're going to have what verse 3 says. He shall be like a tree, firmly planted and tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. So there may be drought all around. You, you may be in a place where it looks like there's no way for the blessing of God to manifest. But if you're like this tree firmly planted by the rivers of water, you will bring forth fruit in your season. And some of you are maybe in between seasons. And the devil's trying to tell you that the season will never come. And you've passed it by. You're too old. You're too whatever. Just tell the devil the truth. He's a liar. And I'm going to stay planted. I'm going to stay uh, in the place of blessing. And I'm going to live this kind of a life. Amen? Amen? Father, we're thankful for your word. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, today... We've had a lot to say, but I pray that that which was needed to be heard by every person was heard. We trust you to do the work of confirming this word with signs following in our lives. And I speak blessing over every person here, every individual who's in this congregation every person who's watching and connected with this ministry, I just speak blessing over them. We choose not to live in the curse. We choose to be a doer of the Word. And we thank you for it and praise you for it in the name of Jesus. You might be here today and you say, I don't know Jesus. I, I want to live this kind of a life. If it's really available, if this is really possible, as you say, then this is what I want. It's certainly what we need. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say that's me and I ask you to pray for me right now, would you lift your hand? We'd like, we'd like to pray with you, pray for you. Is everybody in the room saved? Everybody knows the Lord? Everybody's in covenant with God? I hope so. No hands are up, so thank you, church, for your prayers. As promised, we're going to receive communion this morning. And of course, the elements of communion are symbols of the blessing. Because the blessed life is only possible because Jesus bought and paid for it. He provides it. If you'll take the cup, peel the top back, the bread is there. The other layer will give you the juice. We're going to receive communion. Parents, you are more than welcome to help your children. You, you know more about their spiritual level of maturity than I would know. And if you're comfortable with them 
receiving communion, then that's fine. And also, if you're visiting with us, we invite you to take communion with us. I know that there are there are some um, there are some churches where they don't want people who aren't members of their church to receive communion. But we're not that way. We believe that if you are accepted by God, then we accept you. If you're born again, if you know Jesus, if your sins are under the blood, then you can receive this in a worthy fashion. And we would love for you to receive it with us. Father, we take this piece of bread in our hand today and we know for us it represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. The body in which the penalty for our sins was born. How significant it was that your word says that if any spirit doesn't confess Jesus came in the flesh, that it's a spirit of Antichrist. This is an essential to the gospel. To believe in the birth, the virgin birth, and then in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, for the price you paid for us. 2,000 years later, we weren't there on that day in the flesh. We weren't there in time. But in Christ, he took our iniquities, he took our sins, he took our diseases, our poverty, our shame, our rejection. He became a curse for us. And we thank you and receive this today to our bodies for healing there and also with the full knowledge of the spiritual power that it brings into our lives. We do this in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. Lord, we take this cup in our hand knowing that for us it represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the blood of Jesus, we would not be redeemed. We would not be justified. We would have no access, no way of entrance into the throne room of heaven. But because of the blood, we have all that and more. And we're so thankful today, Lord, that as we receive this cup, though it is in one sense, a symbolic act. It does have a very real and powerful spiritual effect. We apply again the blood of Jesus to our life in all of its facets. And we thank you for the blood, the precious blood of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.